100.7 FM WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight, exclusively by FNM Bank. 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. Right here in Hendersonville, FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlights, Tony Richards. Good morning and welcome to Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and we do this every Sunday morning at 10 on WHIN. 1010 AM and 100.7 FM, brought to you exclusively by FM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville, and also at myfmbank.com, available anywhere. They've got locations all over Middle Tennessee. And we're happy to have as our first guest this morning, Dr. Jason Tabor, a local dentist here in uh, Hendersonville. And uh, Jason, good morning and welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, uh, first, can I just want to start off? You know, there's a lot of things we can discuss regarding uh, dentistry and the COVID-19 and how that's affected everybody and emergencies during that time and and all the innovations in dentistry. But why don't we first just get to know you a little bit. Tell us about your history here in Hendersonville and schooling and all that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, so I grew up here. Uh, I'm the son of a dentist. Uh, My dad and mom moved here in uh, the mid-70s and... uh, I went to Good Pasture as a kid and uh, actually graduated from HHS, and I went to Stanford uh, down in Birmingham, not to be confused with Stanford. <laughs> That's a uh, common miscommunication uh, mis, uh, there. But anyway, Stanford down in uh, Birmingham is a great school, and then I took a year off in between college and dental school and then uh, went to the University of Tennessee in Memphis Dental School where I met my wife. She and I actually met the first day. We dated all four years. We oh my! Got yeah, no. We got uh, we gra- We said we had rehearsal dinner on a Thursday. We graduated on Friday. Got married on Saturday. We moved on Sunday. Went to Mexico on Monday. So man, you sound like a, a man with a plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was it was kind of a crazy weekend, but that was just about the only way we could do it with all the family coming from different places, and so. Yeah, so now here it's 16 years later, and we are we got four kids, and my wife and I we actually worked together for a while. Uh, my my dad and I my, I mentioned my dad's a dentist, and he uh, had a practice here uh, that he started in the mid 70s or so, and um, I joined him. And um, so you you uh, kind of took over his practice then when he retired? Or? Yeah, I, yeah, I bought. I bought his practice, and then he worked for about uh, seven years or so, and, he, and that was a great opportunity for he and I to work together. And Not to mention really cool that the pressure kids, was off most, for him, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Most kids, you know, don't get an opportunity to work with their parents, you know, after they leave the house. So it was a really, it was a real blessing to be able to do that and kind of reconnect in a whole new way. So we were able to do that, and, uh, you know, he's somewhat retired now. He uh, the year before I graduated uh, dental school, he started a practice in Nashville downtown, and so he actually and he, he he actually sold that practice to someone in Arkansas, and so that that dentist uh, still uses my dad a couple of days a month uh, for different things, but he still keeps his hand, and that he, he's he's been involved in forensic dentistry for years and years, and he does some hospital work as well, so he's. He still tries to keep his uh, his hands in it a little bit, but um, uh, we had a great opportunity to work together. And uh, when he uh, focused exclusively on that Nashville office, that's when my wife uh, moved into our office, and she started a, a little side practice that we called Kid City Smiles, which is a kid-oriented uh, practice. And she actually kind of outgrew what we started with, and now she's got her own standalone building. <laughs> it's it's kind of exceeded our expectations for sure, but she was. Well, that is uh, that is point. great to hear. Yeah, yeah, but she's definitely she's got a gift for definitely has a gift with children, and it's actually a, a pretty uh, great uh, relationship, even just professionally with us, because I don't I really don't see any children, and uh, she sees all the children, and not really any adults, so. Our offices are now just a couple of doors down from each other, so it's a really 
we worked we worked great together. It was just we didn't have enough space, so we just uh, she she's got a nice new big office now, so it's really great. So the family tradition continues, but you know, working together with your dad those uh, seven years or so was probably you know you learn a lot in school. There's no question about it, and you you know you uh, have an apprenticeship and whatever. But learning from your dad during that seven years, you had to learn all kinds of things that uh, you know they maybe don't teach you in dental school. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there's dentistry is it's kind of tough to explain this, and I'm not sure how many people totally get this, but you know there's there's only so many dental schools that are out there, but it seems you know dental dentistry varies substantially from one office to the other and most of what uh differentiates dental practices is what they do after dental school not necessarily what they do in dental school so you learn a lot about different things and different strategies and techniques and you know dentistry has become a a very science driven profession over the last 20 plus years and whereas maybe in the beginning it was a little bit more anecdotal and but here we are now, and everything is uh, a lot more science-driven. So you got to kind of move as the, all of that is developed and adapt and learn and grow as the profession grows. So I, I would say not not many things I do every day are were concepts that were uh, robustly taught in dental school. There are foundational principles that obviously apply, and you and knowledge is you know builds, and so all, everything that we do now builds on the foundational knowledge, but. A lot of that is a lot of what changes is not core knowledge. It's things that change, and so working with my dad, it, for sure, you 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 know, it's uh, you, you get to see how uh, things are done in private practice, and sometimes that's that's different than what is in dental school, you know. Right, and I think you know, there's so many things that have changed over the years um, in a lot of professions, and um, you know, dentistry, in my opinion, is one that has maybe changed the most. Just the technology, even from probably when you started school to when you were done. Oh, for sure, and that's kind of what I'm. That's kind of what I was getting at, as far as like what I do day to day. So I'm a general dentist, but a big, a big part of what I do uh, every day is oral surgery uh, procedures, and so we have a. We have a dental CT scan uh, unit that obviously we did not have in dental school, and that's a huge part of our diagnostics. So we can see the the patient's uh, oral uh, situation in three dimensions, and it's just like a, a medical grade C, uh, CAT scan, except it's for, it's a dental unit, and we can just see a, a, in just a, a, just insane detail on what's going on with the patient's mouth. You know, we have 3D scanners that did not exist uh, before. You know, we have, we've got a couple of scanners in our office where we are, we scan every single patient that comes in the door. And uh, those, those patients, that scan is stored in the cloud. And what happens is that's a 3D scan of the patient. So it's this little camera that takes these pictures of the teeth and it stores the patient's virtual record in uh the cloud well and then if you see anything rather alarming out of the gate they may be coming there for a filling and all of a sudden you see something like uh we need to bring you up to speed on this you know that's pretty cool well well what well what what we the way that we'd explain it to patients especially the for new patients when we're scanning them is that this is a this is an awesome tool for us to be able to see if anything is changing in the future so you you have people that like grind their teeth a lot of people you know grind their teeth at night and what happens if you do that excessively over a long period of time is the teeth get shorter and so with 3d scanning you could scan somebody now and then maybe scan them in a few years and you can overlay the scans and you can see if they're actually damaging their teeth you know and there's never been a there's never been a technology available that allows us to see things like that so well you know it's interesting it really because is, that uh you know that's changed so, I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago where we're doing these bite wing x-rays and you'd have to go yeah. in the other room and i'll see you in 20 minutes it was just, it's really it's crazy yeah yeah digital x-rays so we, we've we've had i would say most general dentists uh, i don't know what the statistics are in Tennessee, but most general dentists have, have progressed the digital x-rays, the bite wings. You still, we still have to take those bite wing x-rays, but now they're digitally, uh, you know, developed. So it all just, it pops up instantly on the screen and there's no uh, developing and dark room and all that kind of stuff, you know, which is how I learned obviously in dental school. And now everything is digital, which means that the radiation dose is lower, it's faster, it's more accurate in a lot of ways. And so it's actually, you know, the way, whenever we're adopting these new technologies, the, the main question 
I ask myself is always, is this going to make me better at what I do? And if it is, then I kind of feel like I have to adopt it. And a lot of the, like the CVC, the, the, the cone beam, the, the CT technology and uh, digital x-rays and the 3D scanning. We, we, we actually just, just a couple of months ago bought a 3D printer. And I know you mentioned the COVID thing a little while ago, but one of the things that we've been able to do is we can, we can custom print. Uh, we've, we've got every single person in our office. I have facial scanned that person and we've custom printed on, our, on my 3D printer a frame that makes the all of the PPE equipment ultra tight and ultra safe on that specific person's face. So that uh, the technology that's available, I, I, I tell patients, this is not your grandfather's dental practice anymore. There is a lot of stuff out there that makes this, you know, almost like Star Wars uh, level. It's just really, really cool how it can make us make what we're doing a lot more predictable and a lot more efficient and just last better, last longer for the patient. So. Well, there's no question because, you know, dentistry, it seems to me, you know, was the same for many, 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 many years. And just in the last 10, it, it's crazy. Right. Yeah, it really is. Like there, there's, and it's, and it is actually can be frustrating because you've got growth at different, occurring at different uh, paces in different offices, you know, and it's, you know, you could, you could do this interview with probably 10 different dentists and you would have them talking about uh, a lot of different things, you know, uh, because of how they may have progressed more slowly or rapidly. I I don't feel like there's a lot of technology out there that we have not, uh, that, that, that is really working well, that we we've adopted most everything that is, that is working really well in dentistry, but there's a lot of practices that may not adopt it as readily. And, you know, and so it's, it's, well, you certainly have to have an open mind, and, and uh, you know, I think people need to realize, you know, the kind of investment that makes. But, you know, you have to make sure, you know, you're seeing all these new things all the time, and you have to wait till it's sort of widely accepted before you want to make an investment. But that doesn't come cheap. Well, for sure. Oh, yeah. Early adopters, you know, there's, there's uh, you, you can read books on, you know, like the Elon Musk and people like that that are early adopters, and they can be perceived as, weird and whatnot in the beginning but then pretty soon everyone is looking for them for leadership and guidance and so we 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 try to be early adopters on things that really make sense there are things that do not make sense you know there are there there is some experimental like artificial intelligence types of things that are you know people i heard on the radio not that long ago about robot dentists and things like that and you mean like intuitive technology kind of things What's that? What's you mean that? like you mean like intuitive technology kind of things or something? Well, no, there's I mean there's actually like little I mean I know that there's some uh, there's a uh, there are some there's some progress on like a little it would be like a drill that custom knows like where the tooth is and is it's able to detect healthy tooth and non-healthy tooth structure and things like that and Oh my, just, this sounds uh, like autonomous vehicles. I don't know. I'd be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and that's that's the thing is though some of those things are very, very unproven, and it's just really you know the the one thing that um, uh, you know my the, the one thing I didn't mention in the intro here is my my family is just eaten up with dentists. It's it's almost like a like an illness <laughs> through our whole family. My wife's a dentist. <laughs> she's got two sisters who are dentists. My dad's a dentist. Her dad's a dentist. We got dentists all over our family. But uh, but uh, one one thing her. Um, you know her dad uh, who practices in arkansas one thing he, he he says a lot is just the the judgment you know one of the things that pa- one reason patients come to us is for our judgment and you know technology to me i think this is i think that's one thing that's going to be always very challenging to re- for ai to replace humans is human judgment is worth a lot and so when you when you're able to make a judgment call that maybe a computer or a uh, a uh, an, an artificial intelligence cannot that it certainly makes a huge difference on if the right thing gets done or not. You know? Well, it's nice to have all those dentists around, so you have a nice little board of directors. You can just uh, you know exchange ideas at the Thanksgiving table or something. Oh, I know. It's funny. We, I've got one. Uh, so my wife has two sisters, and so there's three of three sisters that are all dentists. And two of them are married to dentists. So, of three sisters, oh my there's uh, five dentists. And then there's one guy, Mike is his name. He's a 
he has his PhD in uh, neuroscience up in uh, there in Wisconsin. But we had, well, who'd have thought a degree in neuroscience would be the ne'er do well of the family? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Whenever he, whenever we get on a dental talk, I'm like, Mike, I'm so sorry, man. Let's, we need to change the topic. <laughs> Let's talk sports. Oh, there isn't any. Um, okay, we're talking. We're talking with Jason yeah, exactly. Tabor, local dentist here in Hendersonville, and uh, having a good time. And uh, we're up against our first break, Jason. We're glad you're our guest today, and uh, we're going to be talking to a songwriter and vocal uh, teacher, and a very interesting person for our second uh, uh, part of the show. But we're going to come back and talk with uh, Dr. Tabor here in just a little bit. And uh, Dr. Tabor, I'd, I'd like to dip into, uh, you know, patient comfort, which is a big, big deal in dentistry and confidence. And then uh, also kind of how the pandemic has uh, affected things. And uh, because I know people's teeth didn't stop hurting in that last couple of months. So we're going to come back and talk uh, with Dr. Jason Tabor a little bit more right after these messages here on Sumner County Spotlight. We're glad you joined us this morning. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. We are back with Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning, brought to you by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. You can't miss them. Great bank, great location, beautiful building, and uh, they do uh, lots and lots of mortgages, a lot of people doing refis. And you can also reach them at myfmbank.com. If you're thinking about refining or looking at a new bank, then uh, I would highly recommend taking a peek at FNM Bank at myfmbank.com. Our first guest this morning, we're still talking with Dr. Jason Tabor, uh, a local dentist here in Hendersonville. And uh, Jason, could you tell us a little bit about, let, let's get into, you know, we've heard a lot about dentists and everything kind of had to get put on hold and with the, the pandemic. and But you can't tell me that somebody didn't need a root canal in the last couple months or they had teeth pain or lost a filling. How did you guys, uh, how did that work? And you had to adapt your, you know, patient care because you don't want to, you know, when nobody really knew anything was going on, you had to really protect yourself and them. Yeah, it's, it's a... This is actually a question that is debated uh, on a lot of forums and on the social media platforms and what to do and what people have done. It, it has varied. Some of the things that have, uh, some of the dust is settling on the protocols, but uh, just to go back when it first hit and the lockdowns occurred and, uh, you know, there was an order that was issued by our governor that dentists could only do emergency level care and uh, so at that particular point we canceled all of our patients that were not in excruciating pain because that was kind of the barometer for that decision was anybody who's you have to be in a lot of pain in order to be seen in a dental office during and that that has that. got to kill a doctor or a dentist knowing that you got people out there yeah. in pain and you don't want to medicate them for two or three months you know that's not fun right Right, and of course, and, and 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 also there was a lot of disagreement in the beginning on what is an emergency. That was also another hotly debated. So the, the word essential was thrown around in the beginning, and uh, we we were actually closed from the time the order was announced until we actually opened back up. It was about six six to seven weeks where we did not have a normal schedule. And when I say normal, what I mean is just like a. Uh, you know, we have hygienists who see patients for cleanings. And, of course, a cleaning is considered elective. And so uh, those patients obviously had to all be postponed and uh, and rescheduled to a later right, date. Right. But we, whenever this, whenever this first started, you know, we've always been, as we were saying kind of in the first segment, you know, I've always tried to be a, a bit of an early adopter and always try to push our practice to be a best-in-class as it relates to not just technology, but how we care for the, our patients and safety measures that we care for our, our team. And so we, we've been, from the beginning, we've, we've tried to adopt, and this is where you can get a little bit burned on being an early adopter because you may adopt something that uh, then later, you know, because the CDC and, and OSHA have changed their positions on, uh, like, how this thing is spread and contact right, services right, yeah. and things like that recently. And so a lot of a lot of the things that we've adopted. I mean, we're still doing everything precautionary, but I'm I'm imagining that as the dust settles, that there's going to be a little bit more defined line on what everyone is expected to do. But for us, back to your question on what do we do for someone who is in a lot of pain? 
we we saw those patients. We we would I would see. I think the first week that after the order was issued, we would. I mean, I think I saw a few patients that whole week, and they were all patients with big abscesses or major broken teeth that were very very painful. And the, and of course, in those situations, what, what what we're doing is we're screening every single patient with. There's a, there are some, and now it's a much more refined list of questions, but then we were basically asking, have you been to any of these hotspot areas? Have you been in contact with anybody who tested positive? And we're taking their temperature and we're taking uh, on our employees, like every morning you see now, even now, every single day that we come to work, we are taking our temperature. Every single employee gets their temperature taken and recorded. Mm-hmm. And of course, anyone who would have any suspect temperature will be sent home. And we're doing what's called pulse oximetry, which a lot of people in the hospital world know that is where it tests your oxygen level, the oxygen saturation level of your blood. So we're testing that on every single patient because we know, and every employee, because we know uh, that those patients, those those people with lower numbers may have some, uh, they may have some underlying issue going on. So, so doctor, you been, said you do, you do doctor. some social, I mean, you do some surgical things and things like that. What about, you know, car accidents and things where people, you know, an accident of any kind, uh, that you had to address? You know, as, as the lockdown ensued, you know, I, I would, I don't haven't seen the exact numbers on this, but I would imagine that car accidents went went down a little bit just because there weren't as many people driving but i didn't have any i didn't have as many traumatic uh injury cases like that we may have had uh one lady that tripped or something and hit her and and fell on the on the sidewalk and that that was something that was a more of a traumatic but right, as far as right. the car accident like I, I don't i don't think we saw any car accident situations but uh in in over the course of you know that six-week period the only patients we were able to see justifiably were the ones who were in extreme pain or had like their front tooth got knocked out or something like that where it was a, clearly a dental emergency which is tough because you know one of my i've got a friend he's a patient he had a chip on one of his front teeth and it looked it looked like it was kind of uh you know he looked a, the, the, it was a chip out of his front tooth you know and it, it was something that he needed to be addressed and I was like, man, I'm, I hate to tell you this, but it's just not a dental emergency. You know, it's not a. If you're you know, not feeling anything, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that's things that that's, that I felt I felt really guilty, and I feel like that there was probably maybe if we had to do that part over, maybe we could had some other protective measures uh, in place. But we, you know, we've I feel like the dentistry is already a very as crazy as this may sound, I, you know, and I know a lot of people associate dentistry as being high risk, but we, we already were taking a lot of measures to make sure everyone stayed safe. and Right, from, right. And the uh, oral you know, part didn't seem to be the biggest part. It's the respiratory or, or getting into your respiratory Correct. system. Yeah, well, the, the, thing that, the thing that makes dentistry the buzzword is the word aerosol. That's the thing that makes dentistry such a hot button right now is when you take uh, when you take something that's spinning around really fast and you put it in a liquid it's instantly aerosoled and so that's the that's the uh that's the problem is is that if you can uh if you have uncontrolled aerosols in a room then i see yeah i don't think people think of it that way yeah who is to say whether that aerosol is just getting inhaled or not and so that's why everyone has to be screened. Everyone has to take their temperature because if you're if you're aerosoling saliva on someone who is, you know, COVID positive, then that could be a problem. But the one thing is, is that we're so we have so many things that we're wearing. Like we're, we, you know, whenever I go in and, and even just to check a hygiene patient, you know, we're wearing so much uh, stuff. I have a surgical cap on. I've got a shield. I've got my loops. I've got an N95 mask on, I've got a surgical gown, I've got all these, I mean, you can hardly see my face, you know, the, the chances of anything getting through that barrier is almost zero, and we're using, you know, we have medical grade HEPA filters that are in every room that are filtering right. the air, and, and it turns the air over, so we, we, that, and when we're talking about early adopters, that's something where I'm, we're trying to really make sure that if anything does get aerosol, that it is, that we are doing you know everything possible to eliminate the possible eliminate the chance 
Well, and those uh, are the kind of things that I don't think people see. So if you go to see Dr. Tabor, you can know that all this stuff's going on in the background that you can't see with HEPA filters right. and, and the way you have your gowns and the way everybody's protecting themselves. So, And like you said, that's sort of standard operating procedure at your practice. Well, it, 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 it is. It, it is now. And, and you know, the before, I mean, we still all, we, we, we always had a very, very high level of, like, surgical scrub type of a thing, especially on oral surgery procedures and things like that. But now the you know the the CDC is is issuing some pretty strong suggestions, and I never want to you know one of the things I learned from a, a pastor is that you set the bar really high, and if you miss the bar, you're only going to fall underneath that. But if you're just barely underneath that, but if you if you have a low bar and you miss that, then you're going to have a you're going to have a mess on your hands. So we've right, always right. tried to have a really we've always tried to have a really high bar, and you know it's it's very very difficult, but it is kind of the and i hate the we we've kind of like tried to ban the word new normal in our office because the new normal is so is is different but it is at this well, especially since point, i don't I think, think anybody that, knows what that is yet <laughs> correct exactly and I, but i just think it's the best thing for what we know right now what we're doing is best practices for making sure that no one gets no one gets this thing so we we haven't had any uh issues with it and i really feel like that we're doing absolutely everything possible to be able to keep our employees safe and to be able to keep patients safe. And I, I feel really good about our protocols. Well, we appreciate you spending the time. We've got just a couple minutes left, but I would like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the tried and true, what everybody always talks about with dentists and how it hurts and people are terrified. And, oh, yeah. you know, I think a lot of that's gone away, but can you tell us, uh, you know, patient comfort and how that works, not only with you, but with your wife's practice, you know, kids are a little different. Um, but uh, there's been huge strides in that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a really, really good question. And honestly, it's probably, it's probably the question most people, when they're thinking about the dentist, that's probably what they're most concerned about is, I just don't like that noise, or I don't like the shot, or I don't, you know, there's, there's some things that people kind of key in on, and how can, what can we do to make it more comfortable? And, you know, that's why I, I went and got, I've got, I've got my IV sedation license. We've we've got we do a fair amount of sedation in our office. And when it comes to uh, getting people comfortable, uh, sedation has become so easy and safe these days that it's really sometimes the only way to go for a person that is really really scared and really needs a lot. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't have to ruin people. your whole week or anything like that either. No. Oh no 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 no. It's you know, there's so many things also that were because, as we were saying earlier, you know, the it's it's becoming such a science-driven uh, profession that you know we're becoming. There's so many studies that are being done to try to make things easier and more painless and more predictable. And the more painless and more predictable things are, that means you have less of visits and less visits, and that means it's more positive and the less you are scared to come in and the less untoward experiences you have. So those are all things that we're, that's why it's so important to always pay attention to the science. And even though it does change as it develops and as our understanding of it changes, we can improve our level of our, our care delivery, which means it's better for the patient. So with kids and with special needs, it is a little bit different. There's some different rules uh, that dentists have to follow on sedating and getting kids comfortable. But, um, you know, we have, we have, we lit in our office, we have every single, like sedation uh, opportunity available. You know, we, we even work with a, a general anesthesiologist who can come in and then he'll come in every so often in our office and put the patients uh, in, under, under general anesthesia. And it's just, there really is, for someone who is super scared or terrified, there's really, at this point in the game, there's really there's really an option for, for anybody at, at every level. If it's something where you're just kind of scared and you just need a little bit of the edge taken off or really anything in between you can really um you can really help those people out but procedures like this like you know, we were talking earlier about the scanning you know one thing that people don't like is the goo the material the impression material you gotta you know that goes right, everywhere and right. sometimes people complain and it has a bad taste sometimes and sometimes it goes down their throat a little bit sometimes it doesn't feel that good but with scanning technology instead of having to do that you can just put this it's a it's a wand that just captures all of that in a digital camera, 3D camera, and you don't even have to use that. So yeah, you're are, not going to choke, or you're not going to do any of that stuff anymore. You know. Correct. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there are, there are situations, this is all generally speaking, there are situations where we still have to use it, but, uh, but it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those things that we are, we are fully engaged in the digital workflow of dentistry, which is you can take most everything that you had to use, the gooey, putty type of thing for, and capture whatever it is you were trying to get, except do it digitally, which means none of that goo. Right, exactly. So and one, that, one thing I learned about, I've had lots of goo in my day. <laughs> how simple <laughs> how simple it was when somebody finally figured out, well, Tony, tip your head down. Wow, what an amazing difference that made. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't go out of my throat, yeah. <laughs> just crazy. Well, you know what? We're up yeah. against it here, and uh, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for enlightening everybody on on uh, not only your practice and uh, but just g- dentistry in general, and then through the through the pandemic, and uh, you know it's it's important. And I I've had tons and tons of teeth work done, and I, I actually enjoy going to the dentist. I think uh, you know there you guys are there to help. And what blows me away today is the amount of things that you can do in a single visit. So that's something else that people, if you've been thinking about something and you're putting this off, well, I got a toothache on this side and this one when I clamp down, and which is a totally different th- pain, um, you can get a lot of that done just in one shot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, Dr. Tabor, thank you very much for spending the time with us, Dr. Jason Tabor. Could you tell us a little bit about if folks want to get a hold of you or your wife's practice, if they've got some kids in the house, sure. and uh, how, uh, how best to do that? And, by the way, you have a really well, cool website name. Website <laughs> Great website name. Yeah, Smiles at Rock. Yeah, that's, uh, our office theme is autographed guitar memorabilia. So we've got a, you know, Johnny Cash. Uh, we've got several uh, ones that people would recognize throughout the office. So our website is smilesatrock.com. My wife's practice is kidcitysmiles.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to uh, to reach uh, either one of us, and you could call us, and uh, we'd love to see you. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Jason Tabor, a local dentist here in uh, Hendersonville, and your wife and, uh, and her practice as well. We really appreciate the time and enjoyed uh, learning a lot from you this morning. Well, thank you for having us. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by FNM Bank every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And uh, FNM Bank is located at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville, also at myfmbank.com. And our second guest today is uh, Stephen Mojan, and Stephen is, uh, it says here, vocal teacher. He's got uh, education in music. We can get into that a little bit. He teaches music. He's a songwriter. He's uh, He plays multiple instruments. And Stephen, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad you're here. And uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself uh, as we get rolling here. Absolutely. Uh, I moved down to the Nashville area back in uh 2002 to pursue playing and singing and teaching and all of those things. I used to be a choir director up in Western Massachusetts, and um, I've always been into acoustic music, and uh, there's a whole lot of that around this area, so I moved down and played with a bunch of folks for a few years, and then about 2006, I started up with the Sam Bush Band, and I've been uh, his guitar player since then. Awesome. Well, so tell me about the music scene up uh, in Massachusetts, and is there, you know, plenty of opportunity there? Do you got to go to New York a lot, or in Boston, or where, you know, uh, what's the scene up there, and how did you get connected down here? Well, yeah, um, you know, I sort of grew up in bluegrass music, and um, I didn't know many other kids that did that. Not uh, in Massachusetts, I wouldn't think. (laughs) No, no, not wildly popular there, but more so now than than now, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, But there were a lot of festivals throughout the region, the whole Northeast region, and we used to go to those pretty much every uh, every weekend in the summer with my parents, and through that, make connections, and, um, and then through the ETSU... East Tennessee State University Bluegrass Program, I made some contacts and uh, with the International Bluegrass Music Association uh, organization, which is located in the Nashville area, um, <clears throat> made some contacts, which, which allowed for me to do a couple auditions and get hired and move down. When, when did you start getting into bluegrass? Like, how old were you? Uh, I was like uh, six. 
I guess, something like that. My dad uh, just, he got a wild hair one day and wanted to learn how to play guitar. And like like any kid, just wanted to do what my dad was doing. So I started puttering around with it as well. And uh, he had some some pals who were doing these jams, I don't know, every couple weeks or so, um, playing bluegrass and old country and, you know, popular songs and whatnot. And so we got into it that way. How, what was it about bluegrass that, you know, really attracted you to it? Was it, you know, the intricacy of it and, uh, you know, or, you know, because that's not easy to do when, especially as you were growing up uh, with the peer pressure and everything, I would think. <laughs> it's true. Um, you know, it's it's a fascinating uh, genre. It's a very honest music. Folks, um, performers are usually exceptionally good musicians. Yes, exactly. They both play, play and sing. They play multiple parts. They play multiple instruments. Uh, there's a lot of detail that goes into it. And, um, you know, that just fascinated me, even at a young age, the, the power and intensity that can be created with these, you know, kind of soft instruments. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. And, well, then, and, the, uh, and the true you know, and the true musicians really, as they watch that, they probably uh, give you a lot of respect because it's not something you could just kind of just do. You've got to learn that. Absolutely, yeah. It definitely uh, takes a lot of skill, a lot of devotion to the genre and, and to your instruments. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned before, East Tennessee State University and a bunch of other universities around the country have degrees in bluegrass because they see it as an equivalent to jazz or classical in the way that you can study the genre and really perfect your craft. Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting thing. So much of what we do is all made up. It's improvised. Um, right. We have a core of, of tune everybody kind of knows, and then a lot of us also our own tunes, but uh, the bulk of, of what you're going to hear if you go to a bluegrass concert is completely made up on the spot. And yeah. That's, uh, that's neat. It's well, fun. and there's there's no question there's that connection between jazz and bluegrass. Definitely. So you kind of started with guitar, and uh, I understand you play the mandolin and some other things, so how did, did that evolve, and what is your instrument of choice? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say um, I'm most comfortable on guitar at this point. Uh, I moved to Nashville to play mandolin, actually, and then I kind of got immediately switched back to guitar for a particular gig. And then for years I spent sort of switching between the two, depending on which uh, which job was available, frankly. Yeah. Um, be- because I sing multiple harmony parts, I sing lead, uh, and I play guitar and mandolin, that really opened a lot of doors because uh, I had people who would call me for filling gigs, and they would call me, secure me, and then figure out who they could get either on guitar or mandolin or on tenor vocal or on baritone vocal, and then I would just do what they couldn't find. Um, so that, that really helped a lot in the early days of, of my existence down Because here. of your versatility? Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just made it easier for folks. Uh, Well, that's what I I was going to kind of lead into, because a lot of people don't have, you know, sometimes any connections here when they when they come here. And uh, those first few years are pretty sparse. But it sounds like you got relatively busy pretty quickly. Oh, there was a couple of very lean years, but I moved down with a job. Uh, I had I was hired to come down and play that, you know, it, it sort of put me ahead of some. Uh, just in that, but then you know, a lot of hustling and a lot of networking and yeah, no gig, found, no gig is forever. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, well, and no job is, as we all know. Yeah, but um, but you know, a lot of networking in a positive way, and and I've really found the community as a whole to be very helpful, especially to folks that are hardworking. Uh, responsible humans and, and ready to dig in and, and get stuff going. Well, there's no question um, that there's a camaraderie and a respect in the music community in the Nashville area, and uh, it doesn't matter what you do, what you play, how you sing, um, there seems to be something for everyone or a place for everyone at one point or another, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, music is an art form, 
and who's to judge whose art is better than who else's. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about a supportive, wonderful uh, thing that we all like to do. And, you know, everybody's in a different place on their journey. It's, uh, it's a fun thing to, to watch folks grow and collaborate and develop. Yeah, it's always fun to see, you know, whether it's a little spotlight series or some songwriters getting together or some bluegrass, um, just talking with other musicians. I mean, I've been in crowds watching bluegrass and hearing, you know, next to a musician and there's like, this guy's unbelievable. I mean, just that that respect that comes along with it. Um, there really is that. And this guy was, was a blues player, by the way. So, you know, it, the respect crosses all genres for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think the, the more you know about music, the more you respect all of it and what it takes to get to a very high level in any genre. Um, you know, it's not, <laughs> there's no free lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we're talking with Stephen Mojin this morning. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to label you uh, because you've got quite the resume here. I don't know if I should call you a songwriter, a teacher, uh, a musician, a, uh, a vocalist. What do you have? How do people typically introduce you? Jack of all trades? Well, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Um, everything I just tied around music, but I definitely, my, my degree is in vocal music education, so that's a, a heavy part of who I am and what I do. I'm a professional tour musician with the Sam Bush Band, but I also own my own uh, bluegrass record label, Bluegrass and Americana, Dark Shadow Recording, and, um, you know, produce and engineer stuff here at the studio and and how that long, kind of thing how, too. how so long did know. you start dark shadows uh steve um that's been about 10 years at this point uh and we didn't we didn't really dig into it hot and heavy until the last several years um but you know we're, we've been releasing a record every year or two and this year actually we're we're starting to uh, ramp just a little bit more and i know that doesn't seem like a lot but really like to focus on uh, I think time to create the the record the way the US wants created and uh, promote it as best we can and give it as much attention as we can. We're, we're not a music factory here. So, uh, this year we're putting out two records. Um, we had planned on three until um, until our our COVID friend stopped by. Yes. Um, and uh, so my record is coming out uh, July 3rd. We have a new album for, from one of our artists, Buller, that's coming out uh, a little bit after that. Okay, for the folks who are listening, uh, we're talking with Stephen Mojan, and we're having a little bit, again, uh, some cell phone issues with Stephen. And I don't know if you can go into a little clearer area, but maybe after this break we'll, we'll come back and try to have you call back again. Uh, for whatever reason, the... Cell phone, folks, it's just not uh, working great today. But So uh, for your label, you do a lot of engineering as well and producing, right? I do, yeah. The producing seems to be an extension of my music, really. Uh, you know, conducting a choir is, is not unlike arranging a tune for, um, you know, for a new record. It seems to be the same kind of thing, putting musicians together and and organizing how that's all going to work seems just an extension of my teaching background. In engineering, I've just been doing it quite a lot. I've, I've learned from a lot of really great engineers and uh, been in on a lot of sessions uh, where I've been able to do a lot of tricks and techniques and stuff. So Right, it's been so fun, like fun journey. when you're in the middle of a session, for example, and you're recording, um, does it some of this stuff, like you said, a lot of you know, bluegrass is improvisation. When you're in the middle of recording, um, does it occur to you maybe as you get halfway through, he's like, you know, so and so on uh, mandolin or or you know, bass or whatever would sound good right here. And, and do you think of certain people and who could play what you're envisioning? Definitely. Um, I like to hire people and, and then give them free reign to be themselves and for ideas and suggestions. And usually that's done. We call through songs. We'll select some songs and then figure out what, what band is going to make the best patch for that song and then have them in. And, and we track live as much as humanly possible. So uh, when you're out, uh, tell me how the pandemic here, we're getting ready to come up on our first break here in about two or three minutes, but how has this changed uh, what you've done with Sam Bush and, and uh, with, uh, you know, other other things that you have out and about? Well, 
uh, it's shut everything down, of course. Um, all of, we had a whole bunch of touring that has been devastated by this, and uh, the label's still releasing these, but, or, or singles and CDs and such, but um, even sessions and all that, that's just out right now. Uh, I've done a little bit of online teaching, um, but my mechanism has been been really amped up to do that. We've been busy with the studio. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it all how it all winds up in a while, but uh, right now it's pretty grim. <laughs> right. Well, we're thinking about all those guys out there, and, you know, this town was built on events, not maybe just uh, concerts and venues and honky-tonks, but festivals and uh, outdoor concerts, and, uh, you know, there's just so much, and, you know, this could be a long summer, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're all anxious to get back at it, but uh, you know, for the most part, everybody just wants to do that in a safe way and and make sure that uh, all of our loved ones want to get through this unscathed. Well, all I know is uh, when uh, they open the gates, I'm hoping everybody uh, you know supports their local musicians because uh, I'm not sure. Not saying not a lot of folks have had it tough. A lot of people have, still have, uh, but you know, there's literally no other option for you guys other than just doing some online stuff, but there's no, there's no real money in that. So. Right. Yep. All right. We're talking with Stephen Mojan, uh, local area musician, and uh, we're going to come back more. Who's got a new song coming out on Friday. Well, that we're recording this on Thursday, so it's coming out tomorrow, and the show's going to play Sunday. So, And we're going to maybe play a little bit of that for you, too, in just a little bit. So we're going to come back with more of Sumner County Spotlight right after these messages with our guest, Stephen Mojan. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. We are back with Sumner County Spotlight this morning. We're talking with Stephen Mojan. And Stephen, uh, you know, we were talking about your career, and you started up in Massachusetts. You found your way down here, and uh, you've been quite busy right up until, like you said, our COVID friend paid a visit. But, uh, you know, you still got some things going on. Um, So of all of the things that you've done musically, you've got a a very good education in music. You've, You've worked with a lot of people. You're teaching um, what is your favorite thing to do and uh, the favorite place you've played? Okay, well, um, it's hard to pick a favorite because, I, for me, one leg of what I do inspires another. Um, I love, I do a lot of band coaching where I take an, an ensemble and work with them to make the most of what they do well and to fix some of the things that they could do better. Um, really help them find their sound. That's a lot of what I do. Uh, in well, that's uh, that takes a little finesse because what if they're yeah. doing, what if they're doing something and you're like, no, <laughs> go here and oh, give yeah. it a whirl and just try it maybe and you know. So it takes a little convincing, I'm assuming, on your part. Yeah, it does. You know, fortunately, folks that come for a band coaching session, they come to me because they know I know how to do that, and they're pretty trusting with with my suggestions. And I'm, you know, I'm the first to admit if something we try doesn't work. Sure. Um, so it's just an open, collaborative thing. So I love doing that, but that inspires me to get back on the road and play and and try some of those things myself. And then that inspires me to be home in the studio making records and producing for other folks. So I I really love all aspects of what I do. As far as favorite place to play, man, uh, the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, which this would have been its 47th consecutive year. Wow. Um, What what time of year is that? Like right about now? It's when the weather breaks? Father's, Father's Day weekend. Okay, yeah. So it's probably beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal just being there in that space. It's a box canyon for anybody that doesn't know. It's this little box canyon. There's one road in, and when you're there, you're there, and you're surrounded by these gorgeous mountains, and the entire town turns into this festival. And like I said, it's going to be, was going to be their 47th consecutive year. Um, my boss said, went there for the first time in year number two and has been there every year until this one. So uh, pretty pretty spectacular. It's And it's definitely, it's an old home kind of thing. 
um, part of it's being in that space, but part of it's just being surrounded by pals, uh, touring buddies that we see. Oh, you look forward to it every year, I'm sure. Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost like our Thanksgiving, you know. It's mm-hmm. we, we go to this festival, the the hangouts backstage and half hours are just so collaborative and fun. So many jams and just folks getting together over coffee. It's it's amazing. Yeah, that the backstage stuff is the fun stuff. If you can control the food, because, man, it's just a lot of eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I will say, I tell you, Ride, they have an amazing chef who puts out this incredible spread. It's a world-class meal every night. I think on, I don't know, Friday night every year, it's, it's like elk steaks and stuff. I mean, crazy. Wow. It's so how, how many folks um, uh, descend upon that town when this happens? I, I can't remember. I know that there's a hard cap on the people they allow in because it's a box canyon. There's just enough room for everybody. It's not mm-hmm. as big as you think. I want to say like, Ten or fifteen thousand. Yeah, it's really it's not massive, but it completely fills the town, um, and it's it's just a wonderful it's a wonderful place to be. And I'm really I'm really sorry we're not going to get to be there this year. So, what is your plan for the rest of the year? I mean, I, it's a little bit of a crapshoot because things are starting to creep open. But what what do you think? Uh, how's the rest of the year 2020 going to look for uh, for Stephen Mojan? Well, you know. Still trying to put this record out, and um, and then you know trying to book some sessions, try some teaching things as we can. Uh, it's been a little bit of a stretch because everybody in there is giving music lessons at this point. Because every who's a touring musician, that's one of the only way things you can fall back on. Well, I was so going to ask you about that because, but but you've been doing vocal lessons for quite a while, and so I would assume that you get other leads by helping other people? I mean, does it, is, does it just kind of yeah. feed off of itself? or? Yeah, my work is word of mouth anyways. And I, so right now I'm focusing on things that, that I do differently than others, or at least the, my peers. Um, so band coaching thing, that's something I'm really focusing on, and specifically voice lessons. Voice lessons for bluegrass is kind of a rarity. And, um, and of course, just voice lessons in general. It's something I actually have a degree in so it's not just random hey sing like this right um so yeah trying to trying to figure out what i'm doing that's unique different than many of my competitors uh and, and going at it that way and then, of course our tour season a lot of the things that were early on were moved to later year mm-hmm. uh should things be safe enough to go tour and should anybody come out to go to the gigs and that's, of course, yet to be seen. But um, I'm, I'm hoping something happens where we can get out on the some more and, and pick and sing for folks. Yeah. So um, tell me, you know, we're all fans of someone. Who are the some of the ones that you love? As far as... Um, well, uh, whether it's a picker or a band or, or uh, an influence of some sort. Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I've really had my eyes opened a lot in my time with the Sam Bush band, some of the people that we have done co-bills with and, and jams with, um, man, Joe Bonamassa, we did a run with him and got to jam with him. Some, that was amazing. Um, Tedeschi trucks band. We did some things with them a few years back, which is just amazing. I got to sing a trio with Sam and Susan Tedeschi, and that was just unreal. And then to hear, um, Derek's, amp right behind me yeah. taking a solo live was oh, just man. ridiculous. Um, and, and collaborations, we've gotten to hang out. Uh, Sam's good buddies with John Oates of Hall and & Oates. Mm-hmm. And John is just a, a real sweetheart, really nice guy. I've enjoyed getting to know him and jam with him. So a lot of, a lot of those kind of things have been opened through my association with Sam. And I'm inspired by a lot of folks that, that surround me. You know, it's interesting because John Oates, we, we've uh, worked with him a little here and there here at the, at the radio station, and he seems to have, uh, you know, as the years have passed, really done what he wants to do and has done amazing work. Absolutely, yeah. No, he's a, he's a phenomenally talented person. He's very down-to-earth, and he knows what he wants to accomplish, and he just goes after it. I, I really respect that. And that's the way a lot of guys are when they're not out front, um, but everybody that's in the band knows who's bringing it. You know, 
Right. Tedeschi Trucks is a yep. classic example. Saw them at the Ryman, and it was just, you know, everybody taking their turn. You, you know, it, can everybody be that good? And the answer is, yeah, they, they can. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to watch, and that's cool. So as these things sort of influenced you, and, and that's an ever-evolving thing, but being more a vocalist, um, tell us about that and and maybe who you really respect doing that kind of work. Well, my favorite vocalists of all time are both uh, have both long passed uh, Lester Flat in the Bluegrass World and Frank Sinatra for just just being a, an amazing singer. And I like them both for the same reason because they deliver songs like they're telling you a story. It isn't that they're singing to you, but they're just telling you the story. And it's sort of, it's like the words fall out of their mouth. Both of those singers are that way. And there's a list of others that I really dearly love as well, but I'm always appreciative of a vocalist who has that ability to not scream at you, but to just share the story that they want to share and make you believe that it's their story. I was just going to uh, say that. It, you you buy that. into that it's their, their it's theirs. Yes. They own it. You know, like nobody else, yes. everybody else that ever sings it from that point forward is going to be compared to them. That's a rare yep, thing. Mm-hmm. So what yep. you're going to say about female some, influences? Then? Uh, yeah, uh, Leanne Womack is, is probably my favorite uh, female vocalist that does that same sort of thing. She just has the ability uh, on all of her records to sound like she wrote the song, even though she didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's that's remarkable to to believe that it's their story. It's just it's a fantastic thing as a vocalist. Um, beyond any technique, that emotional connection, that's where it's at. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about where folks can get a hold of you for whether you know it's a gig or uh, or training or uh, an opportunity for you to coach them, um, and then we'll uh, and then we'll finish up and and play uh, a tune that's going to be coming out. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my website is stephenmogen.com, and Stephen is the P-H-S-E-P-H-E-N. Mogen is M-O-U-G-I-N.com, and uh, yeah, all the info is there, and contact me directly, um, different teaching opportunities and, and that kind of stuff. And then our label is darkshadowrecording.com, and uh, all of our music is there. And it doesn't matter whether you're a band or you're an individual. Uh, that's fine too. But like you said, you coach you coach Absolutely. bands and and vocalists as well. Absolutely. Yep. Come on. Any <laughs> yeah. Any advice for those getting into bluegrass that uh, are just now kind of discovering it or into it? Um, any advice that you could dole out to the young folks that are traveling here and and uh, their their dreams are in their head and, and they've had to deal with all this, but they're going to come anyway and bite the bullet and let's do it. Yeah. Well, I, a lot of it is, is your research. No, make sure you know what you're doing musically as much as you can, uh, before you get involved. Um, and, and then be versatile and, and try to be, try to be chill, try to be the person that folks don't mind sitting in a van with for three weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, get along which, with others. <laughs> That, that sounds like an easy task, but it certainly is not. Um, you know, if you're a real antsy person and you don't deal well with adversity, perhaps touring is not your best option. Right. Uh, because there will be lots of that uh, every you day. You've got to improvise kind of... and learn on the fly, that's for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And roll with the flow. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about this tune that uh, you're releasing, and then we'll uh, we'll play a little bit of it. Yeah, this is a real bluegrassy number. Um, it's called New Beginnings, and I wrote it back in 2017 with a former student of mine. I was teaching at a local college, uh, actually in West Tennessee, and uh, this was a student that graduated from that program, and then we later wrote the song. And it really talks about um, the idea that uh, out of dark days come good things, and uh, oddly appropriate for right now. No kidding. Um, and... Um, one of the lines at the end of the chorus is, as sure as the rain falls, the sun will shine again. I see a new beginning around the bend. So uh, that's my hope for everything we're going through right now, that it's it's this dark, but hopefully it will be that much brighter uh, out of the end. 
Well, Stephen, we appreciate it. Yes, we play adult contemporary music, but we're also very local, and we're interested in local people doing local music, and it doesn't matter what kind, because that's just the way Nashville is, and we're glad you were part of the program. Uh, Stephen Mojan, thank you for spending some time with us, and we'll listen to a little bit of your tune, and we appreciate it, and uh, thanks for being here. All right, thanks for having me on the show. Enjoy the chat. Sumner County Spotlight has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, or even home mortgages, FNM Bank can provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.